Welcome to a very special grand final edition of the Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast so excited about the game on Sunday, we've already mapped out how we think the game will play out in advance using a posse of unwilling old ladies. The bird playing Cam Smith was actually outstanding, 87 years of age and has the exact same gait as Cameron, complete with the uh, identical limp. It's quite uncanny. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and today on the show we'll be discussing all of the late-breaking news in the lead-up to the NRL Grand Final. Plus, we chat with former NRL hardman Dave Shillington about how he sees the game going. But first, I'm joined in the Media Watch Mario Studios by the only man who is still so upset about the Roosters' demise this year. He's taken to wearing a face mask of Jake Friend looking droopy and sad. It's Xander Risotto. Welcome to the show, mate. Mate, for the record, we are still in the competition in the NRLW, and I'm going to count it as a three-peat if they triumph over Brisbane this Sunday. That's uh, how you see it. That's right. Okay. Even though that's completely factually inaccurate, you're going to see history that way. It will. I mean, you know, technically speaking, Mm. I mean, it could be a four-peat because we won the uh, NRL 9s. In the 2017. I mean, this is a bizarre retelling yeah. of history. It's very I mean, Trumpy. It is. It is a. They are trophies and championships <laughs> for the Roosters. Um, has it been hard turning up to work, by the way, mate, in your Jake Friend depressed mask? Because I'd, I'd imagine that would actually have an effect, like an adverse effect on work. It's meant people bother me less, which is which has been nice. That's not always yeah. a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. Have you ever done. felt the need when you're wearing the Jake Friend mask to play too big a role in meetings, especially when senior execs aren't there? Because that's exactly how Jake Friend handled his games this year. No formal complaints were, were lodged. <laughs> now, before we become Cameron Smith and find an excuse to shove a zooper duper in our mouths, anytime someone asks a serious question about our future, just a reminder, you can follow the show on social media via the handle at Voluntary Tackle. But be warned, we're mainly on Twitter. You can also follow Xander Risotto on the handle at Xander underscore TVT. Now, this is a special grand final episode, mate. Uh, The only agenda point I really have here is fucking yes. How good is this going to be? Look, if the Roosters can't be in it, I've said this to people throughout the week. We're obviously dyed-in-the-wool East fans, but if they can't be there, this is the grand final combination I wanted because as far as I'm concerned, there were three teams that could have won it. We were one, we're gone, these are the other two, and I just think it's going to be a cracker. I think it's going to be a cracker, but I, I really, really wanted it to be Penrith Raiders, just because it would have had such a 90s feel to it. And because, you know, I mean, as much as... <laughs> You're going for a retro vibe. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Penrith Raiders would have been amazing. What are you talking about? Would you have done the whole thing there and got the hypercolor t-shirt, the Oakley sunglasses, studly developed a rollerblading habit? I mean, how far would that have gone? No, you... none of that. But I would have I would have uh, cranked out the original Tina Turner song. I mean, we brought that back this year. It would have, been, would have capped that off. It would have been amazing. Yeah. Played on loop the whole time. Exactly. You yeah. know, I mean, it just, yeah. And it was it was the year that they won. It was when they converted to this. They, they transitioned from the Chocolate Soldiers hmm. in 91. Good move. Right? Good move. You, you know, don't want to be the colour shit. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean whoever came up with that initially and said, I've got a really good idea for the club. We're going to be brown. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you can kind of understand the logic back in the day because, I mean, they were what I think they Penrith started is effectively part of Western Suburbs, right? Like they were one of their 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 sort of feeder clubs, yeah. And they broke out on their own, so they didn't want to wear a black uniform. Then, yeah, you know, so thought, they oh. became a sort of off brand, a little bit expired looking Western Suburbs, basically. Magpies. Yeah, and, and like you when know, you leave a Mars bar in the sun, and then somebody remembered that uh, Panthers are black, so they. Put they colours the in. Choice. Yeah, they, they went to black and white, but threw in a few colours just because, well, now mm. we're not Wests. They've had a few nicknames over the years. The Licorice All Sorts uh, on the back of that yeah. jersey yeah. they used to have, which did inv- indeed look a lot like that. The Chocolate Soldiers. Now, I haven't checked my history, and you are some, you're a very learned soul, Xander, so you may know the answer to this. But are they called the Chocolate Soldiers because of the colour that they were, or were they called that because they used to fade late in games? I think I've heard that they... They used to melt in the sun a bit like chocolate. So I don't know which one's true, though. Either way, thought it was because of the colour, but um, it may well have been uh, that they, they faded late late in games. I mean, you know, that was, that was of course, the, the nickname of the Raiders for a few years, the faders. That's right. Yeah. And we're bringing that back up. No matter what happens in 2021, seeing as they've knocked us out of the comp, I'm just going to keep calling them that. They sure as shit faded last week. Yeah, and I think we should also impugn them as being some kind of turncoat for China, seeing as they had Huawei branding. Let's just keep that up for the next five years. Let's insinuate they're actually bad for national security. I'm just a vicious and vindictive and bitter Roosters fan, essentially. Those trackers they had on their backs were were definitely feeding back information to Beijing. I think so. In fact, I'm not convinced Jared Croker's human. But I'm pretty sure he's actually some kind of cyborg. It, it's, it brings up an interesting question, though, in terms of the sides that, that deserve to be there. There's been a lot made of the fact that the Queensland government wouldn't let them travel up the day before. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that really stymied their preparation and, and they kind of went in with heavy legs. And in the first 10 minutes, they basically got blown away by the storm with what three tries or Four tries in the first 25 minutes. Yep. I mean, if, if they play that game in Canberra, are we looking at a Canberra grand final? You know what? It's entirely possible. Look, the, the big thing about the last week was the week off. You know, and Melbourne yeah. had the week yeah. off. But another considerable advantage was playing in Queensland. And from on top of that, the Queensland government fucking the Raiders around. And suddenly you've got a trio of fairly considerable advantages on your hands in, in favour of Melbourne. So... You know, who knows? It, the actual scoreline in the end, what was it, 30 points to 10? Yeah. I mean, they actually fought back for a little while there after being blown away in the first 20 minutes. They they did. I mean, the, the back end of the game, they were right in. Mm. You have to you have to take your hat off to Melbourne for being so consistent for so long. But do, I you, just, do you literally do that? I do that. I don't wear a hat. Okay. So, well, that's yeah. why it's difficult for me. I actually, what I do is I make a makeshift hat and I actually take it off. Whenever I want to give Melbourne kudos. You physically make it? I mean, I, I probably just buy one. No, actually, I, whatever's around, you know, if there's a, a placemat, I'll put that on my head and I'll go, well Take done, Storm. Off. I mean, I fucking hate you, but well done. Uh, so obviously you're not happy that Melbourne Storm are in the, in the big GF, but nonetheless, how do you see the game in terms of it being a spectacle? Uh, let's not go into who we think is going to mm. win just yet, but in terms of sheer entertainment value, I get the sense in a PVL season, uh, where everything he's touched has turned to gold. Thankfully, he doesn't touch his penis when he urinates. I'm sensing a classic. So I'm watching the Panthers play South. A few kind of creeping doubts started to to crop up for me. Um, they played us in the first week of the finals, and they played us at home, and they completed at 95%, and they scored six tries. Mm-hmm. And they were they were chancing their arm. They were they were being expansive, but they knew they had, you know. An extra life, yeah. And I felt like when, yeah, I felt like when they played Souths at ANZ away from their home, they completed the seventy-two percent, 
and didn't convert their half breaks that they they would have converted in the regular season or against fucking us. But like you know, there was a, there was a, a moment in particular where Crichton made this great break. He had options inside and out, mm. and he got stopped short of the line. He, I mean, he just bombed a certain try. And I'm I'm a little concerned that that. I mean, it it may just be that the prelim, you know, just was a really stressful sort of match for them. But I'm wondering if if the nerves for them are, 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 you know, they look like they're a lot bigger than they were for the Storm. And I'm I'm wondering if that's going to be an issue. And my, My concern is if the Panthers bring that into the grand final, it won't be so much of a spectacle as a walkover. Did you think Crichton was a bit quiet in the prelim? Yeah, you know he was. I mean, yeah. he, when when he got a chance to run the ball, he still he ha- still had some barnstorming runs. But his involvement rate yeah. didn't seem as high, and I guess a lot of that might have been to do with there was no kick out. So that's yeah. that's a very we've back. Got to, yeah, yeah. we really got to consider he wasn't there for that prelim, and some it actually showed just how important he is to that team, especially down that left hand corridor. I feel like when they when they sweep left. That you know the defense is looking at kick out. There's quite a few guys that are always looking at kick out because he's extremely large and extremely skillful. So they have a good reason to look at him. But you've also got a really dangerous center out there, and I think Stephen Crichton has sort of benefited from having this mm. really skillful, informed second rower barreling down that left edge. And when he wasn't there, I don't know if you agree, they didn't seem as lethal down that side at all. And they almost got to that point where they went, "Well, oh, that's not working." Um, we'll have to try something else. Yeah. And I think that's where the clunkiness sort of came in. Yeah, I think it was a bit of that, but I, I do think there was a there was a little bit more of a conservative approach to play in general, and there, there was a little bit more of a risk aversion. That said, what I did like and what I think is the difference between, and we, we discussed this last week, I think, um, you know, say a Panthers and a um, uh, an Eels, uh, is there was a moment late in the game where... Um, they made that great break through the middle that uh, Cleary ended up with the ball. And, you know, he kind of had the chance to, to sort of push for the offload, but he didn't. He took the tackle and set up for the next play mm. and, um, you know, basically put in a, a perfect kick uh, for them to score. They did shut up shop a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. which is actually not what really the, the Penrith Panthers have been doing all year. So but, I wonder if I, there I did, is a bit of a mental shift. I didn't mind. like That, that play in particular... I. I thought was actually a sign of maturity and patience. Mm. Like, you know, I, I feel like they... Not they, a sign of clamminess and nerves? No, well, I mean, because if it was a sign of clamminess and nerves, you would have seen like a Mitch Moses sort of like pass <laughs> off the deck and it would have just gone to you no mean one. the complete implosion. I yeah. Mean, I like, assume that Mitchell Moses is a walking metaphor for an implosion. Yeah, just, uh, you know, like he, he's, he, he's great when he's on, but like I thought it was the right play at the time. It was a high risk, high reward play, yeah. but, you know... They could set up and, and go again. Speaking broadly about the competition, that I mean, part of me as a fan just wants this to be a cracker as well because it has been such a shitmire of a year, not just for the NRL, obviously, for the world. It would just be nice for the competition to finish off with a classic. I think almost feel like the competition needs it. And, and I'm not just saying this, uh, you know, trying to will it to happen. I genuinely think these two sides coming up against each other. I've only met once this year. Penrith handled them quite mm. nicely. But this is the Melbourne Storm in a, grand, in, a, in a grand final, which is a very different proposition. We understand that they're not the type of club, generally speaking, that, that weakens in that moment. They get better. They do their fundamentals stronger. and they Unless un- it's 2018. And yeah, unless it's 2018. <laughs> and, they, and they handle those really clutch moments. Penrith Panthers, as good as they've been, they're untested. And mm. I guess that they're probably sick of hearing that. But it is a fact that remains. And until they win this year, if they win this year, 
that will be something that will be on their shoulder. And I actually think it's a, it's a legitimate thing to to put out there because the Melbourne Storm are so bloody good at doing this. They've mm. been in every final series for the last 18 years or something. They, they have. Barring I mean, a salary cap scandal here and there. That, that said, right, like, I mean, they've been in a lot of grand finals. Their, their strike rate is good, but they've lost a lot. The Sharks came into 2016 with everyone telling them they had to lose one to win one. Oh, they would have been really hating that because yeah. it's like we've never fucking won that ever, right? And we've been in the comp for a while now. I know, but like you know, that was oh well, this 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 team is good, but they're going to need to get there, and you know, they're playing the Melbourne Storm. They've only mm. the Storm only won it a few years before. Yeah, everyone kind of expected Melbourne for all the same reasons to be up there and to beat the Sharks, who hadn't been in a grand final since the Super League era. Do you know what one thing I've noticed in commentary and analysis of the game that I always feel like is a bit misplaced when it comes to the Melbourne Storm and. People often speak about the club because it has been so successful as this kind of static monolith, right? This this club that's been successful and it hasn't changed and it's just always a, a high standard and that's what they do. I actually think that's bullshit. I think that one thing that that club does really well is reinvent itself. And one thing it does really well is re-energize its roster. They've always got freaks coming through, which actually changes the composition of the team. For me, Melbourne in 2020 is a far better team than it was in 2019 or 2018. And that's for the, for a couple of reasons, but it's it's mainly, you know, the likes of Pappenhausen coming along, young blood, mm. Brandon Smith getting better, Jerome Hughes. You, you compare him with Brody Croft. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. who they had last well, year. Jerome that... Hughes is, is mm. landing the ball on a dime. In fact, smaller than a dime, a, a tiny man's penis. Olam. Yeah, Olam yeah. has been fantastic this year. It is a better team this year than it was in the last couple of years. Uh, it may not be as good as 2017, but this Melbourne Storm team is up there for me. Absolutely. And I think you're right. Like all, all of the stuff around them, them uh, just being masters of the wrestle, nobody's talking about that anymore because they, they've sort of rubbed that out with the six again. And, and now Melbourne are, are, are sort of the entertainers of the competition. Do you think that's one of the highest compliments you can pay to them, Xander? They have been a team that have adjusted to these new rules when the perception has been just that, that they are overly structured that they mm. love the wrestle and now we've got the six again and it's free-flowing you talked about like uh, them as a as something adaptive like but it's the, it is a system that they've built that mm. is able to adjust yeah. uh seem seemingly you know at will um to new system they're to like new a styles. really sophisticated yeah. virus like it's very difficult to medicate and get rid of them in fact you're never clear um it sort of hangs around a bit like crabs and that's the yeah. way I see the Melbourne Storm. So basically, they're 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 um they're genital herpes. Yeah, they're yeah. a virulent they're always, sexual disease. Always with you, <laughs> and they are. It's a, actually, that should be their team motto. <laughs> We're always with you. And yeah, they can also get purple as well. They can, herpes. yeah. And yeah. that's what that maybe the gold is the pus. I don't know. <laughs> We're going down a very dark corridor, but I do a want a smelly say, corridor. Anyway. Exactly. I want to know, mate, from you. We've come to the pointy end. I want you to put your balls on the line or put your balls to the wall, whatever the expression is, who's going to win on Sunday? It is hard to go past Melbourne. I suspect they'll have too much big game experience. Oh, I'm sniffing some Phil Gould fence sitting. Uh, I, I suspect it's, uh, Melbourne are, are going to have too much big game experience um, and there will be a lot of feeling around Cameron Smith and all the rest of it. But I, I can see the opportunities for, for the Panthers. If the Panthers bring in their seasons like the best form that they've had this season they can absolutely beat the melbourne storm but i i, I question whether or not they'll be up to it is, is my my sort of concern all right so i'm going to put this a little bit more in islamic terms someone has a giant knife to your neck and they said unless 
You this predict is, the outcome. This is a particularly of the dark tw- of the 2020 yeah. grand final. Um, I'm afraid your head's coming off, Mr. Xander Rosato. Is, is this a reference to the the uh, French teacher that was just beheaded? I'm, I'm trying not to bring that in, but eventually, <laughs> depends how many beers I have, that might come in. That was that a is, tragic chapter. I don't is, really want to. That is very dark. Um, so, in other words, you need to give me a, an exact answer here, and I also want a margin from you. What I'll say, Eamon... <laughs> <laughs> is uh, that I do not um, give in to the demands of terrorists. <laughs> You're like Bellamy. He refuses to negotiate yeah. with terrorists as well. So, uh, yeah, look, I think the Storm are going to win. I just I just really hope yeah. that the Panthers are going to win. I'm, I'm going to try to read the room here. I am seeing a big difference here between your brain and your heart. I think your yeah. brain thinks the Storm's going to win, yeah. but you really, really don't want them to win. So exactly. you, you are in this kind of jostling, right? In fact, it's quite interesting to see you. Physically oscillate between the two things. No, I mean be, being logical about it. Yeah, I think. I mean, you know, I'm, you know, putting a bet on it. I'll put a bet on the storm. Mm. Um, but I can see, I, I can see the, the the Panthers beating them as yeah. well. Look, if I'm I'm likewise. I think the Melbourne Storm will win. I don't think there'll be a lot in it. I, I actually think it might be a bit of ebb and flow in this game. It wouldn't surprise me to come down to a, a field goal or a penalty at the end. But I want to know from you, Cameron Smith, the factor. It looks as though he is retiring. We're about 98% sure. At the very least, he won't be playing in a Storm jersey next year. He was chaired off at the last game. That's always a bit of a sign when you're sprayed with champagne and Gatorade. Will that be a a really strong motivating factor, do you think, for the Storm? The fact that they're playing for their chief, the guy that's been there since 03 and seen them through this amazingly successful chapter. Absolutely it will be. I mean, you know. How will that translate on the field, though? Is this just a theatre thing? You know, it's something that media like to talk about. Yeah. But physically, will that actually have a bearing on the game, you think? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like, they they talk about Smith sort of basically, uh, you know, shooting daggers with his eyes at players when they're not performing. I mean, it's just that impact and that that, that performance-raising... I suppose, aura that he has for his team will just be amplified. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, though, is this is a grand final. And so that intensity and that desire um, uh, for success will be matched by the young, very hungry Penrith side. Mm. So, I mean, I, I guess the way I would... If, if this wasn't his last grand final, I'd almost be curious if, if the Panthers would have more hunger and want it more. But I, I kind of think what the Smith factor is, is, is something that will effectively cancel out any additional complacency within the storm. Mm. It'll add that additional intensity that maybe sometimes in, in, in final series they've lacked. Well, you know, he's 37 years of age. You'd think at some point he would drop his intensity radar a little bit, but I don't know if you saw before the Raiders game yeah. Yeah. Um, when he gave the pregame speech to, it, to the troops. I mean, that, is, that looks like an army general like mm. lining up you know, on on the front line. It's, he's extremely intense. There's not a, a single fibre of his being mm. that has lacked any kind of competitiveness. None of that competitiveness has leaked out of his body at all. No, no. I mean, I'm sure, like I, I've heard he's not interested. I'm sure he'd make a great coach someday. Look, if they are to go out winners, Melbourne Storm, how will Cameron Smith be remembered? If you had to say in 10 years' time, mm. you advance forward, we're looking back at the game, Kalen Pong is probably coming towards the end of his career by this time. How does the game see Cameron Smith? In years to come, what people will remember is his record of success. Mm. Uh, and I think that that's probably what will stand the test of time. Like, I mean, I, don't, I, I have no idea what they used to say at the time about Dally Messenger's competitiveness, for example. But we know he was a very successful player. Yep. And I think that that's kind of what it will come down to. And, you know, nobody, like, I mean, 
making a lot of grand I'm, finals. I'm guessing that Dally Bessinger wasn't a grappler. <laughs> Although he apparently did jump over players and they had to ban that because it became dangerous. Are you underestimating the humble rugby league fan who have a mind like a steel trap when it comes to things that annoy them? And I know this because um, I believe our former referee, Eddie Ward, was abused in a 7-Eleven only a few years ago <laughs> when he was in there to buy a sausage roll by a fan who remembered a bad call he made about 28 years prior. Yeah, there, there is some of that. I've, I've gotten into Twitter arguments with people when Sonny came back, like going mental about his walkout on the Bulldogs back in 2008. And you're just like... Get over it. Who cares? Rugby league fans, mate. We're like uh, elephants. We don't forget. But, you know, like, I mean, I guess it's the time period you're talking about. Like, I mean, I, I, I can't see... There'll, there'll be people for a while, but I think, you know, when, when we're talking genuine long-term, like, I mean, when this is 30 years from now, I, I don't think, you know, people will be thinking that way. Yeah, fair enough. I think you might be right to a degree. I think a lot of that uh, will, will actually slip off over the sands of time, but there will always be people... Thinking, oh, that's right. He was very good. Yeah, he could be dirty at times, but he was mainly fucking amazing. Yeah. Whereas right now, the, the pain is still raw, particularly because he's on the eve of probably finishing his career with a premiership win, which is probably the way I see it going. The weather, Xander, it's supposed to be raining on Sunday. How's that going to affect the match in your view? See, that's interesting. Um, in a funny sort of way, I think that'll benefit the Panthers. Um, the reason Even though they're so flamboyant? Well... Actually, the Storm, to me, have been the more flamboyant side leading into the finals. And I think that, uh, actually, Kiri's kicking game uh, is the most dangerous of all the halves. You know, he's got bigger, towering, harder-to-catch bombs. I mean, him and Reynolds have the best kicking games in the competition. Yeah, I, do you know what really scares me is that giant bomb that yeah. Cleary puts up where he kicks it through the belly of the ball and there's no rotation yeah, on it at all. Yeah, it's really awkward and it can shift directions really yeah, late, right? Yeah, I, I've, I've always thought, why, can't, why don't players put more up of those giant torpedoes? Yeah. But then Nathan Cleary comes along and goes, no, put no spit on it. Yeah. Fucking harder. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it is actually, you're right. Like, I mean, what do they talk about? Being able to read the wording on the ball as it comes down. Like, yeah. It, it's, it's weird. You, it, it almost tricks your brain because your brain builds these sort of physics models about how things are supposed to move. And that almost looks like it's a video game that's glitching, coming down <laughs> yeah, moving. That's right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's, there's something very disconcerting about it. So that I would actually say, if anything, the rain... And given the Panthers have, when they've been playing their best, uh, had this brilliant completion rate and still being able to be quite creative, if they're patient and they they manage their game well, I, I actually think it'll it'll, it'll favour the Panthers um, because I do think that they'll they'll be able to cause more problems with their kicking game. No, I've got to defend Jerome Hughes here, who has the kicking game for Melbourne Storm has been sublime. Not as big and as long as a Nathan Cleary, but geez, when he's in within the 30, 40 metre zone of the line, mm. there's no better than Jerome Hughes this year in terms of putting the ball exactly where he wants it. He's kicks for Vunavalu this year. I yeah, mean, he's yeah. teed up Vunavalu so many times, kicking even early in the count. Mm. They've been really creative this year in terms of kicking early, uh, putting chips over the top. That That is not the Melbourne Storm that we've come to know and hate. Um, but this year, they've seemed to have mixed things up and, gee, it's going really well for them. But yeah, that, that, I agree. Um, but I do think um, in, in a wet weather game, um, chips over the top and like crossfield kicks become much riskier. And I do think that it's, it's more that the towering bomb and tricky, like, you know, percentage play kick, kickers yeah, that are going to be more... Call. Like, that, that's my sense of it. Yeah, you know, there's um, some logic in that. I will say this, both teams, if you were going to pick out two clubs that play well in, in wet, dewy conditions, 
Melbourne Storm yeah. and Penrith Panthers. <laughs> I mean, you know, out there at Penrith Stadium, it gets bloody cold and, and slippery and down in Melbourne, you know. Not mm. that they've had to put up with that this year. That could be the other little variable. Yeah, they've, been playing, in, they've been playing in Queensland all yeah, year. Yeah, hot, balmy conditions. Yeah. So they, they may not, they're traditionally used to it, but they may not be used to it mm. this year. And I don't know if that's going to be a factor the, or not. It's interesting. It, that, that is the other point, actually, is the, travel will be a factor for the storm this time around. Mm. So they're going to they're going to come a couple of days out. So they'll they'll be ready, but it it's the it'll be the first time they've been out of that Queensland bubble for a while. Uh, do you have any crazy multis for the game? Yeah, I put on a stupid multi. Oh, please just tell for, our listeners just, just for the heck of it. There's going to be a chance we'll be posting this up uh, at some stage tomorrow, so you will have a good 24 hour window to get this multi on. That's the plan. So Xander, hit us up. What have you got? <laughs> so I've, I've um, yeah, I'm clearly not taking this terribly seriously. I mean, because I find this a hard game to tip. I'm not actually even tipping a winner. I'm just I've just got a bunch of crazy anytime try scorers. Okay. I've got five bucks on Stephen Crichton, Brian To'o, Uppy Corusau, Isaiah Yo, Ryan Pappenhausen, and Jesse Bromwich to all. You've score. gone for six try scorers. You're That's a right. madman. That's right. Is that paying ninety eight thousand dollars? That's five bucks. I'm getting twelve thousand bucks if that. You should happens. get more for that. <laughs> Which is, I mean, that's it's insane. not going to happen. Even but, the likelihood of that many tries being scored, you'd think it might happen this year, but in a grand final that's yeah. wet. Yeah, I think you might have Buckley's. You should be at least getting double the dividend. Uh, I, I mean, it's the max dividend you can get, but anyway, it's, it's my stupid bet. I think you're leaving our listeners up the garden path well, here, like mate. It's, um, you know, I thought to myself, I can't, I can't really see myself putting too much on either side to actually win. Mm. But you know, I don't mind throwing five bucks at a stupid multi. Well, in a in a coin toss game, I think you're getting about two dollars twenty for the Penrith Panthers. That's pretty good value, yeah. actually, because it's not a lot in it. Uh, I'm I'm the same, mate. I've gone for an anytime bingo, but mine's uh, more plausible uh, than yours. I have to say, I've only gone with three, and because I am suspecting uh, this to be a storm win, I've gone with three storm players. A uh, bit ballsy, I know. I've gone with Ryan Pappenhausen, Jesse Bromwich, and Nelson Asofa Solomona. I'm thinking. Late in the game, when if in, if indeed they actually get over the top of Penrith, when they start to weaken a little bit in that final stages, it might be the big bodies of Bromwich and, and Big Nelson to actually plunge over the line. Do you know, when I, they've both found the line a few times this year. I love those tries that Nelson scores where someone tackles him about six metres out and he just falls down like a tree over the line. I know. Because he's well, that big. They that- chop him down, they think they've got him. And it's five, just five meters out. out, and he still manages to score. It's ridiculous. I know. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, for the record, I put uh, five dollars on that one. It's a dividend of one hundred and eighty-seven to one. So get all over it, listeners. And another one I have to put forward for Clive Churchill. This is my smoky, Ryan Pappenhausen, twenty-five to one. I got him at. It's uh yeah. I mean, Pappenhausen's not going to get the Clive Churchill mate, but. Uh... Nice one. Okay, well, who do you think is going to win it? It's going to be Cameron. It'll go to Cameron Smith, even if even if Penrith beat them by 40. So <laughs> you, I think there's a lot of logic to that. But tell the listeners why that is, because I'm assuming it's the narrative. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I mean, look, what I mean, not if, sent, not if they if get, get sent off. Not if they get smashed and he gets sent off, <laughs> then it would just be ridiculous. But I think, I think if there's any argument that can be made that he was the best player, he's going to get it. Yep. Yeah, and that, I mean, I think he's some history, some guide there, isn't it? Like um, Billy yeah. Slater got it in 2017, as Media Watch yeah. Mario pointed out. Wasn't even the best, wasn't yeah. even the top well, three. Well, I, I knew he wasn't the Clive Churchill for me, uh, but it was funny because Mario had very definite opinions about who it was. It was Tohu Harris. That's from right. But I, just, I remember thinking it was Kafusi because uh, I thought he was in, in blinding form in 2017, rolling into that final. 
And you're right, they gave it to him purely because it was the comeback story. And we are fallible creatures, human beings. We do love a good story, Xander. And any time we can actually tie that into a betting scandal, we'll go for it. We also should talk about, Xander, the halftime entertainment. It's Amy Shark this year. I have one question for you. Who the fuck is that? I have no idea, but I did see her announced on Twitter and she d- does appear to have, um, I think she was a, like in, in like a Sharks thing or something. I don't know she's, she's got some because regular of her company. surname. Are you sure you're not conflating her surname with the club? No, I, I saw her in like a Sharks outfit or something. Okay. Yeah, I can't Fair remember enough. exactly what it was. I wonder if because she's got the surname Shark, she just walks around in a Sharks outfit all the time. I mean, you know, natural to support the team, surely. Mm. Awkward at times. At funerals, it's going to go down like a lead balloon. I mean, it depends think. on whose funeral it is. I if mean, it's Paul Gallons, it's appropriate. Yeah. But um, other than that, you'd probably go, no, nah, probably just wear black as normal. Who is your favourite halftime entertainment in all the years in grand finals in rugby league? Do you have a favourite act or band or singer that over the years i tend to turn it off half time <laughs> what are you doing for that 20 minutes so you're obviously you're all keyed up for the game you just watched 40 minutes of madness at xander's house you just turn it off you know i, I honestly can't really do remember you meditate what are you doing i can't remember i mean like the last two grand finals i was at um and i yeah. just you know you don't tough really... to turn that off yeah i mean but mind you you don't really um pay attention too much to i mean you're like even if you're relatively close, you're generally getting drinks or or mm-hmm. going to the loo or whatever it is, and yep. yeah, you're not paying too much attention. Then the game's back on, and you kind of forget. Um, so I, I never really paid too much attention to it. Like we've got a rich history, mate. There's, you're normally picking out those sort of Australiana bands. My favourite performance was Billy Idol. Uh, he was the man that uh, '80s icon, obviously '80s rock icon, who came out there and it was a blackout. Never got to play. Could have always been worse. Could have been Meatloaf. Look, I want to know, you could be the uh, the magic man. You could choose the next musician to be in the grand final. Who are you choosing? I mean, if I was going to... doesn't have to be a musician. You could go for pick. a magic act. But, uh, I mean, maybe if we were to do something different, we could use somebody like, you know, Chris Angel. I don't know if you've ever... You're too familiar with him? No, I've never heard of him. So I think he had a, a, a TV program. I think it was called Chris Angel's Mind Freak. Okay. Um, and uh, you know he would do man. weird. You know it wasn't just illusion stuff. It was kind of like you know horrific things. And you know he could, maybe he could trick the the audience into thinking that the Melbourne Storm had been eviscerated. Is this his shtick? Is it he used to trick people into thinking their loved ones were dead? No, not really. But I mean, he could do that for us. <laughs> Look, for me, mate, it's Rolf Harris. It's the one and only. I'd get him out there with the wobble board uh, if he's on day release, obviously. Um, and if he's not available, oh, geez, I thought I went dark. <laughs> if he's not available, I'll go Jessica Mowboy. I love Mowboy. I think she's got great voice. Just, just, just while we're still on Rolf Harris, okay, would please. you would you have him play some of his like prison best hits, like the ones where he where he attacks the the um, the people that he sexually assaulted? I would, mate. Yeah, yeah I'd have him uh, trotting out all of his big hits, uh, including where he throws his own feces at the wall in disgust because he's had his PlayStation taken away from him. Well, here on the Voluntary Tackle, we are once again joined by another former NRL legend. This man was an absolute warrior for the Roosters and the Raiders. Not so sure about the Titans, but it's Dave Shillington. Welcome to the show, mate. Uh, g'day. Thanks for having me. I just wanted to start off, I guess, by asking you, how have you found the season so far? Yeah, well, you're right. The game, it's changed a lot this year, and, and I've found it to be really exciting this, this, this season. Uh, obviously, that six-again rule and... Um, different teams doing well like like the Panthers this is young enthusiastic sort of free-spirited team so um 
Yeah, oh, yeah, it's been a fantastic year. Uh, late in the season, I started to get excited about uh, my old team, the Raiders. Um, Roosters and Raiders, still my old team, faced off again and um, had to make a choice who I wanted to support. And I thought, you know what? I reckon the Raiders might go all the way this year. But um, obviously, they didn't quite uh, get there in the end. But um, it's an exciting finish nonetheless. So I was going to ask you about that, Dave, obviously. I know last time I did ask you about where your allegiances lie. Uh, from memory, you said you were leaning uh, with the milk over the roosters. And a, and a part of you actually said you were sort of cajoled into supporting the Brisbane Broncos. But surely after yeah. this year, you've given them the flick. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of Broncos fans uh, have walked away this year. They've, they've, they've had a tough year or two. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I, I am a, a Raiders fan at heart. Uh, when, when I moved down to Canberra, I didn't really know what to expect. I thought it would be a short stay and get in and get it done. But, uh, yeah, I, I loved it. A lot of um, good country boys, um, rich history as a club. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, they'll get me excited towards the end of the season and um, hopefully they can just keep going that one step further. What do you think of the recruitment strategy, Dave, about the Raiders, I guess, bringing in so many Englishmen? It seems to have been pretty effective strategy so far i know they're losing bateman this year who i think has been a fantastic player for them so far but i mean how have you found that as a recruitment strategy oh well, look it seems like it's um been a master stroke there by, by ricky and, and and the recruitment team um they those sort of players like as you mentioned uh bateman he's an absolute beast and um the uh th- those guys aren't out the state of origin they would have origin mid-year this year they're, they're not out of origin um they, they're probably think uh, Canberra is like Las Vegas compared to Northern England. So they, <laughs> exactly. They're excited to live there, whereas some of the eastern suburbs boys in Sydney might not um, think Canberra is that appealing. So, um, yeah, look, there's, there's plenty of positives to it uh, in, in attracting players. And then, thankfully, the players they've attracted have just turned out to be weapons. So, um, yeah, well done to Ricky and the recruitment team. Do you still keep in close contact with anyone at the club, mate? Oh, yeah, on the occasion. Yeah. Uh, so um, send them an odd text or, um, or or a phone call, and um, and I'm really lucky. I, I played with some really good blokes, so we um, there's a few of us that retired in the last few years that they're keeping good contact with each other. Um, we we're going to actually have a little boys' weekend away, a bit of a reunion, uh, but then COVID kicked in and oh. cancelled that, like it did a lot of things. Yeah, uh, but um, rescheduled for next year, and, and always love hanging out with the old boys. Well, you know, if you ever do get some intel, um, I've got Robbo's number, so I'm happy to kind of leak that straight onto the Roosters Club next year if you're keen for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that'd, be good. that'd be good. Mate, now, looking over your career, Dave, the one thing that, you know, you look at, it's just you obviously a really well-capped player, but you've had some amazing personal achievements. That's captaining, captaining a club in the Raiders, playing State of Origin Queensland and playing quite a few number of tests. Um, but we're in grand final week. I just wanted to get your take as a player. I mean, that was the one thing that seemed to elude you. How important would have making a grand final have been in terms of your career? Oh, I absolutely would have loved it. Uh, it does does sort of bug you a bit, I guess, um, that, that I never got to play in a grand final, let alone win one. Uh, you can't have everything in your career. I know that, and I, I know there's some, some massive positives. But um, really a grand final win, it's probably the ultimate thing you can do because so many things have to fall into place. It's such a long year. This year was absolutely chaotic. Yeah. So if your team could still be there kicking and fighting and winning at the end of the season, um, that's incredible. 
but uh, but as I say, yeah, so, so much has to go into it. The club needs to recruit well. You need to be proactive and also lucky with injuries. You need to get the bounce of the ball here and there. And um, if you're lucky enough, you get there. So um, I, I would have loved that experience, and um, but uh, it wasn't to be, unfortunately. Here on the Voluntary Tackle, we're all about sort of alternative history. So I wanted to pose a bit of a hypothetical to you. Say, for example, uh, we could take you back to your peak fitness. Say you're 26-year-old Dave Shillington, and we're going to take out James Tarmow, and we're going to put you into this Penrith Panthers team. Are you able to give us a bit of a thought experiment as to how you think you would approach a grand final week? And also during the game, I mean, would you be the type of person to pick out another player and target them, or would you just be going out there to try to play your normal game? Yeah, I think uh, this week it would be so hard not to play that game you know, 10, 20, 30 times over in your head. Um, you'd, you'd be naturally excited, which is good. you are got that energy, but then also not wear yourself out physically and emotionally. I reckon that would be a massive challenge uh, leading into the game. And, and I think on game day, oh, you know, in a perfect world, <laughs> I'd love to be like a... Uh, Sam Burgess the other year and, and take him on, break his cheekbone and keep going. I'd love to be like a, a Paul Harrigan um, back in the 90s taking on um, Spud Carroll. Uh, yeah, I'd love to think of myself as that tough player, but that could be a bit uh, a bit of a fantasy as well. But um, but I, I do know I played my best footy when I singled out other players and, and made it a bit personal to get it up, get it over that other front row or second row of whoever I was coming up against. So um, that's, that's when I played my best footy. So... Um, that would probably be my tactic if I was playing in the game this Sunday. Mate, there's a lot of folklore around uh, Mr. Adrian Morley. Apparently he had a little black book where he would actually write down the names of players that he'd go after. And generally speaking, it was sort of the pack leader of the other team. Uh, as a player, did you ever sort of write anyone's name down and, and make it a bit personal? Or was it all just what played out in front of you on the day? Yeah, I, I wasn't like um, uh, Big Mozzie, Big Adrian Morley. He was... Uh, he was an incredible player. I used to, used to triangulate myself. Uh, just he used to take it very personally to lead the team forward and uh, intimidate the other team. And and I know playing with him and, and all the boys around me, he just got pumped up so much when he put on those big shots. So, um, but for, for myself, um, you know, sometimes I was probably guilty of being a bit too too casual, placid out there. And and it was often when. Um, and somebody else sort of in the opposition tried to stand over me, tried to sort of get one over me, I guess, rough me up a bit, that um, that I'd start firing up. Yeah, that used to sort of <laughs> get me going, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and, and so it was kind of like a blessing in disguise. If, if I was ever coaching against myself, I'd say, yeah, don't do anything to stir up that shilling. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Let him play his game. Let him be a bit quiet. Don't get him too aggressive. <laughs> because um, that's when he used to fire up. Well, it is funny you say that, right? Because obviously you were a fearsome forward, Dave. There's no doubt about that. And you could put shots on people. There's there's plenty of highlights on the reel there regarding that kind of thing. But when I speak to you, I, I doesn't quite map on. You do have a sort of a casual personality and you seem quite affable. It's not what you typically associate with a front row forward. No, nice. uh, well, it's a funny thing, actually. And I don't talk about it a lot, but uh, yeah, being aggressive out in the field was something I sort of I had to force out of myself or force myself to do uh you know, I, I am an easy going uh, guy and I, I like everyone basically uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, but, and that, that was a bit of an issue for my career I know um uh, in the early days the Roosters and Ricky was my coach he, he had to work on me a lot you know trying to get me to fire up essentially and um 
I can't. I don't know if we spoke about this last time, but Brad Fittler was a he was a great um, sort of influence on me and my career, and just reframing uh, that conversation around being aggressive to saying uh, being competitive and doing your role for the team and inspiring your team and that sort of stuff. So um, Freddie, as a coach, helped me enormously like that to say, look, it's up to you to get it over the other front rolls, to get your team going forward, to win that ruck uh, and to dominate them in defence. And um, yeah, that's what makes you a great front roller and that's what's going to get a team going. Um, so get out there and do your job, essentially. And so um, uh, that, that was a good turning point for me to sort of lift my game to another level thanks to Freddie's guidance. Dave, that's an interesting point you bring up, actually, uh, about Freddie. I was going to ask that. Um, you, you played under both Freddie and, and Sticky, and, and uh, Stuart's got a reputation as being a pretty intense character who does make a lot of stuff personal, whereas Freddie, everything we hear about him, particularly in Origin Camp, it's all about feeling the earth and deep breathing. It's, it seem, seems a real contrast of styles. Was it jarring at all to go from one to the other? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It was contrasting. Uh, and, and that was back in the Roosters days, mind you, when, when I think you know, Ricky's changed a lot as a coach since then and uh, he's had, had some great success at the Raiders and done some good things. Um, but, but as you say, at the time, um, uh, he sort of coached with a lot of fear, I guess, and wanted the players to, to fear him and, and, um, and so on. And, uh, but Freddie, he, he tried to tap into um, you know, people's inner motivation and, and get them sort of connecting uh, with themselves and why they're playing the game and why they want to win and then with each other. And, and he sort of works really hard on unlocking their potential as individuals and as a team. So um, he comes across as a bit quirky and a bit funny and odd sometimes, yeah. Freddie. Um, effective, and, though, by the looks of things. Yeah, but effective, yeah. Well, <laughs> when, um, when Freddie took over as the Blues coach, you know, the Blues have been losing for years and all those... Um, Coaches that coach the Blues over that time try to get bigger, stronger, faster, more skillful players. But Freddie just picked players of good character. He had them, um, as you say, with their shoes off, rounding and laying on their back, meditating. And people thought he'd lost the plot. They're like, oh, they were, they were drinking seawater, according to one report. It was. <laughs> it could have been. And uh, everyone thought he'd lost the plot. His state of origins for, um, yeah, people with a bit of mongrel about him. Uh, and, but. Look what happened. Freddie, unfortunately, led those Blues to victory that year and the next, unfortunately, for, for us Queenslanders. Up the Blues. But, um, yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the quirkiness, the different approach uh, definitely paid off. He is. He's almost part coach, part Nepalese yoga teacher, isn't he, Dave? He's, he's an interesting combination. Look, I wanted to um, direct your focus to the big dance. I, I almost shudder to use that cliche because it's rolled out so often. But the big GF, I for one am absolutely pumped about it. Well, who do you think is going to win on the big grand final day, Dave? Oh, yeah, you know, it's such a tough one. I was, I was saying to my brother this morning about it uh, that uh, my instinct goes, oh, I just want the Panthers to win. They're head and shoulders above every team this year. They deserve it. Uh, and the Storm win all the time. But... <laughs> Good on the storm. You know, they, they are successful almost every year. Uh, they put themselves in the position through hard work, preparation, grit. So, you know, I don't think either term the team necessarily deserves to win or one doesn't deserve to win. Uh, and I think it's just going to come down to whichever team plays the best on the day. Um, and that obviously could sound obvious, but uh, I think they're, <laughs> they're fairly, uh, fairly well-placed, uh, both of them to win. They're, they're both in good form. Uh, plenty of plenty of strength and attack. Um, the biggest thing could be, uh, I think, the Storm could contain the Panthers' attack and, and really 
stifle that too much for the Panthers to put many points on them. Um, and, and the Storm actually do have a few points in them that I'm not sure if Penrith can contain. So I, if I have to make a decision and not be boring, I'll, I'll say I think the Panthers are going to put on a good show. But um, unfortunately or fortunately, however you look at it, Storm just might edge them out. Yeah, I'm sort of with you. I actually think it will be a ripper. I, I just sense a classic coming, but I can't go past the Melbourne Storm just because I know exactly what they're going to bring. They've been here and done it before and almost yep. always bring an A game with a few possible exceptions. I think, and I don't want to play too much into the Cameron Smith sort of fairy tale. It's getting a bit overblown in the media, but um, you can't help but think that Smitty, is, he's a winner. Um, that team would love him and hold him up on a pedestal so highly that um, if theoretically it is his last game on Sunday um, and they have this sort of internal knowledge or feeling of that, um, they will break every bone in their body trying to send him out a winner. Um, and so like, it's nice to have a fairy tale. It's not essential, but if anyone deserves it and anyone's, um, anyone's team's going to try and give it to him, it's going to be Cameron Smith and the Storm. It's uh, an interesting um, point you make, uh, uh, Dave. Um, we've we've talked about this before. That um, every year, actually, the last couple of years in particular, there seems to have been sounds coming out of the storm that he might retire. And we we have kind of developed a, a theory that maybe he's just he'll retire once he fin- uh, uh, has that final grand final win. So the question is, I guess, if he doesn't win this year, does he play on? I think he should. <laughs> but why should he retire? He's playing world's best flat practice at number nine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there is the old quit while you're ahead analogy. But, uh, <laughs> but he's been ahead he's, for a long time, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, it'd be so sad to see him retire, but um, everyone knows it, it's inevitable. I mean, it, it, it's mind-boggling. Him and I are the same age. Uh, we're both 37. Uh, we played junior roos together, so just sort of started out at the same time, and I retired three or four years ago now, and um, he's still kicking on and played 400-something games. It's just, for someone that's the same age and in the same era, it's just mind-boggling to see him uh, achieving what he's achieved and, and still still going today. It's interesting. I mean, it's uh, the only other player I can think of with that level of longevity is Brad Thorne because he played, I think, what, 12 years of professional league and then 12 years of professional union um, and did it all at lock. But I can't think of anyone else who's got a comparable... Um, rap sheet in terms of longevity. And just on you comparing to Cameron Smith too, I mean, you're right, he has longevity. He's been arguably the best player to ever play the game. But, I mean, he also is so astute about not being able to, I guess, tax his body as much as others. And, I mean, you played a very, very different role, I have to say, in terms of putting your body out there for damage. Yeah, he does. He, um, he, he's got his... Uh, it, it's not a negative thing at all, uh, but he plays to his strength. Uh, you know, where he, he's a kicker, he's an organizer, he's a passer, motivator, all those sorts of things. Um, he, he's not a big hitter, and he's not going to run over people, so he doesn't try to do that. Um, and as a result, um, he leads that team, that team to victory, and he preserves his body at the same time. So, um, it'd be, it'd be uh, yeah, he, he plays smart, he plays well, and, and that's um, that's done wonders for him. Dave, um, just to finish off our chat, I also you're obviously a very proud Queenslander, represented the Maroons many times. Origin following the grand final this year, um, they're facing, I guess, staring down the barrel of three straight losses. How, how do you think Queensland are going to go this year with Wayne Bennett and Big Mal at the helm? Yeah, oh, we our squad, yeah, it must be the youngest and weakest squad we've had in a long, long, long time. So. 
That's um, when Queensland are dangerous. Yeah, I know. <laughs> also when they've got a team full of immortals, but... Uh... Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, in 95, of course, um, there was that team of nobodies that um, Fatty Borton coached and, um, and and they came out and won 3-0, uh, Series 3-0. And it's nice to say, oh, you know, we've done that before, we could do it again, but the, the game's also changed a whole bunch since then. You know, they're only part-time footy players and... Uh, and in today's day and age, I'm not sure if um, those, those sort of beats are possible. Uh, but I tell you what, I couldn't ask, couldn't think of a dream up two better coaches to have in place right now, and Wayne Bennett and what Mel Meninga, the like Wayne Bennett, the ultimate in um, playing those mind games and motivating and um, and picking the right people, I guess. And then Mel just the ultimate uh, motivator. You know, when he was coach uh, for, for for me in, in Origin. He just uh, instilled that uh, instilled that intent, the desire, the passion. You know, if you didn't know why you wanted to strap on that jersey and, and break yourself for Queensland, yeah, he, he would let you know. So um, I couldn't I couldn't think of two better coaches to uh, to bring through all these rookies. And look, you never know what's going to happen, but uh, it's going to be a bloody tough task. Dave, how did Mal do that? Obviously, you just said that you know he he needed to convince players that. You have to do anything for Queensland. What was Mao Meninga's method to to get the best out of you? Uh, he, he talked a lot about what the jersey meant, uh, what people before you had done, uh, what it means to the Queensland people, the state of Queensland. And so when you put on that jersey around the field, uh, it was never about you. Uh, it was always about at least your team, and more likely it was about the state. Mm. Uh, and and one, one good thing he did during camp each year was take us to a regional town. Uh, and for me, one year it was Roma. And hey. we could And uh, Roma had about 10,000 people um, at the time as a population. But when we rocked up, there was about 30,000 people there, the whole stadium <laughs> full of people. And, uh, and you know, people are coming up and shaking your hand going, we can do this, boys, we can do this. And, and you just got this sense of how much it means to everybody on the ground, how yeah. much they're sort of in it with you and riding that wave. So um, Mel was fantastic at that to make sure that you, know, you don't make selfish decisions out there. It's not about you. You keep turning up because you've got the whole state relying on you. It brings up an interesting uh, question in, in just the dynamic of, of, of representatives over the past few years. We've seen this resurgence of the, the Pacific nations and the World Cups have been, I think, bigger and more successful events lately. I mean, you played 14 tests for Australia. What was what was bigger for you at the time, playing for Queensland or, or, or playing for Australia? And, and you know, in terms of that style of coaching as well, I mean, you would have, I, I guess, been coached by Tim Sheens. Did, did he have the same... I guess reverence and and um, and attitude to representing Australia. Yeah, it it, it should be held as the highest honour playing for Australia, uh, but it's so hard to go past the whole passion and rivalry of, of playing State of Origin. Uh, so, but what made Tim Sheens a master coach in my mind, and, and I understand why he won premierships, you know, over, over those decades beforehand, the club coach, um, he was able to bring the team together so well. Because during that period, uh, New South Wales and Queensland uh, were really going at it, at each other's throats. It was ugly. Uh, and, you know, we had all had to come into camp with, with the Kangaroos and actually play together and try and beat other countries. So it was a, it was a pretty tough task with him. And right from the get-go, yeah, he just had all these little tricks and uh, um, strategies and tactics to get the team to bond and, and to um, enjoy each other's company, play good footy together, and ultimately you know, to win footy games. 
so yeah, we had him as coach for quite a few years, and uh, by the time I finished up there, and, and he did as well. Um, the boys, the, the Queensland boys, and New South Wales boys were thick as thieves in those camps, uh, and he, he'd done a great job bringing everyone together. Classic, uh, classic uh, headmaster, isn't he? <laughs> He was, and he, he was always a leader, like with sports science and things like that, always thinking outside the square, looking for little things to, to innovate with and get that edge. And um, So I, I loved playing under him. And, and uh, what he always also did well is um, he was very like, upfront and, and, and honest with you. Uh, and if you had a bad game, he'd say, look, you're, you're one more bad game away from getting dropped. Just find that <laughs> shot across your bow. Yeah, that is honest. Up, up to you. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, we really appreciated that. Dave, what was an example of the bonding activities that Tim would get you to do in camp to heal the divide between maroon and blue? You know, um, I was talking to Jonathan Thurston a little while back about this. This might sound strange, but um, what he did from the first day in camp, uh, he gave us this code to remember, and it, it started off with uh, a certain length, this code, and you had to tell each other this code all the time at training because... For instance, like the code was 14J6Y2B. So easy to remember then. Yeah, well, it started off with just 14J, and then he'd added another number or another letter to it. And if he ever went, stop at training, uh, and he asked, he goes, he goes, Shilo, what's the code? I'd have to know the code exactly. Um, otherwise, it'll do penalties. <laughs> uh, so, um, so it just got the boys talking, laughing. It didn't matter which state you're from. You had to know this code. <laughs> and, uh, this, this went on for the six, seven weeks we uh, were in camp together, and that was in 2009. And I saw JT a while back, only like six months ago, and we still remember the code off by heart. <laughs> That's amazing. Are, are you sure Tim wasn't running some kind of credit card scam? <laughs> <laughs> He could have been. He could have been. I'm not convinced. Look, we've taken up a lot of your time, Dave, and again, you've been really generous, and um, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, I just wanted to find out, how are you watching the game? Are you dressing up in your mum's frock like I am and having shots of Zambuca? <laughs> no, funny enough, that didn't cross my mind. Uh, I will have a couple of beers with a few mates, uh, maybe go to the surf club and uh, take it easy. So, yeah. Love it. I love it. Mate, thanks again for coming on the show. And, um, mate, I, I hope uh, next year the milk go a bit better for you. But we're Roosters fans, so we hope there's a bit of a rematch, Canberra Roosters and the Roosters triumph. That's our little prediction for 2021. Thanks, mate. Have a great night and thanks for coming on the show. Okay. Thanks, guys. See Bye. you, buddy. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Well, it is a giant grand final episode, Xander. So I thought a good exercise for us on the show today would just be to have a bit of a chat about the moments in grand final history that we think were the most memorable. They don't have to be necessarily moments we loved, well, necessarily uh, for the Roosters, although I'm sure you're armed with plenty of tricolour highlights, but just memorable moments that either turned to a match or, or sort of wrote themselves into folklore. I've got a few things jotted down in the paper here. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I, I can start with one. And, um, you know, I mean, I think obviously when you when you think of big moments, you, you kind of think of scoring opportunities. But I, I think for my first one, uh, I went for one that I felt kind of turned uh, a game in a way that was, you know, galvanised uh, the Roosters. So the, the 2002 grand final against the New Zealand Warriors, the moment where Villasanti blatantly headbutt Freddie whilst he was on the floor after being hit fairly hard. I've got a couple more tackles here to play with. Oh, Fettler, badly checked. Big tackle from Corpu. 
for mine it seemed to be okay. There is a fight breaking out here. A real push and shove. Fiddler showing the scars of battle. Well, he shapes the kick, Fiddler, That's and right. then he goes to run, and it's the shoulder coming through, and it's Wadaringi Korpu, who's caught him right on the shoulder and knocked him off balance, and then it's a head slam. And they didn't call it a penalty or anything like that. Uh, Fiddler got up. Now he'd have been taken off for an HIA because he was definitely concussed, I'm sure of it. But yeah. that moment and the, the injustice of it and the, the underhanded nature of it, they're trying to take Freddie out of the game, yeah. I think turned it in our favour. And they just blew them off the park after that. Yeah, as it turns out, it was a major turning point in the game. And it actually shows you how much the game has actually evolved over that time, isn't it? 2002, it doesn't feel like that long ago, but of course it's 18 years. Back then, that wasn't even given a penalty, as you said. <laughs> I think under in 2020, Villasanti probably would have been sent off for that. Uh, yeah, he, he'd have gone for the rest of the game, without a doubt. Cause he, he led the, with the head and he actually had an intention. The replay shows him... Aiming his head yeah. at Freddie. Yeah, and it turns out in retrospect that Villasanti uh, might not have had the best moral character, shall we say, <laughs> um, stealing from teammates on a national tour not long after that. But can you remember the moment in that game where there was a bit of revenge sought? Who sought the revenge on behalf of the Roosters? Can you remember? Adrian Morley. That's right. Adrian Morley <laughs> put on a massive hit. That's right. And you've never heard a bigger roar. There was a bigger roar than that than some of the tries scored in that game. Uh, that was an excellent moment, mate. I quite like that. Do you know what I like about that one? It's a great example of a, of, a, of an incident that turned the match. For me as well, it was the um, one of the biggest Roosters games I'd, I'd witnessed up to that point. Because mm. um, obviously, you know, when we were going through school and all the rest of it, they made 2000. Um, but it, it just felt different somehow. Yeah, that's right. We went in favourites, I believe, which yeah. is something that didn't happen in 2000, quite rightly. And you know what I love about that moment as well, Xander, is the fact that if it didn't happen, there wouldn't be the iconic photos of Brad Fittler bleeding with the yeah, bandages around right. his head. That was so much better. When You you know you're always going to remember a game, and for whatever reason, it lives on longer in people's memories when people are badly wounded and they've got bandages on. Yeah, there's, there's that sort of gladiatorial aspect to it, right? Yeah, for sure. All right, mate, I'm going to retort. I'm going to go to the 1989 grand final between Bowman Tigers and Canberra Raiders. Apologies for any Tigers fans listening, but this was the extra time moment where a man that no one knew called Steve Jackson did this. It was Jackson's first first grade try, and with it, the Winfield Cup was coming back to Canberra. Balmain probably should have had this game in the bag. They were ahead and they were leading quite comfortably, and, and so much so that Warren Ryan, the coach at the time, took off Paul Sirenen and block, Paul Blocker Roach in the, in the idea of potentially just sort of defending themselves to a victory. It didn't work, as it turns out, because they were up against a freakish Canberra team. They may not have known it at the time because... Uh, they went on to be in the next two grand finals, Canberra. Uh, it turns out that these guys like Laurie Daly, Ricky Stewart were quite good, <laughs> as it turns out. But um, to be a guy like Steve Jackson, this is the bit that always does my head in. That is a, such an iconic rugby league moment. And people still go, who's that? What's that guy's name? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, he wasn't yeah. around for long. And I actually heard uh, Blocker talk about this. I think it might have been on the Matty Johns podcast. I'm not sure. But apparently he bumped into Steve Jackson at a function years and years later, and he went up to Blocker and said, "You probably don't know me, uh, but I'm I'm Steve Jackson." He goes, "Of course I know you. You ruined my life." 
<laughs> That's a grand final moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, mate, over to you. Bit of recency bias. Morgan passed to Kyle Felt in 2015 oh, that, yes. uh, that levelled the score. Tackle five. This is the last. It's bounced away to Thurston. Comes up Blair. Got rid of Blair. Pushes away from McCulloch. Thurston gets the ball to Morgan. Morgan crosses the 20. Comes away to O'Neill. Gets the ball to It's a try. That was just such an incredible moment. Um, I mean, it was a shame that Thurston didn't ice it with this conversion to seal it there. Well, you know, it's funny. I want to feed. I have a moment written down, and it wasn't the Morgan pass, even though maybe it should have been. It was the moment Thurston hit the post. Well, if you don't believe in fairy tales, we might see the giant fairy tale of all time here right now. With Thurston, a kick from the sideline to win a premiership for the Cowboy. Kennedy. It looks to me as Oz taking the steel work. What else can this grand final provide? Wow. Yeah, right. To me, that was a bigger moment. For whatever reason, when I think of the 2015 grand final, that was a hell of a match. You could argue Brisbane were much better for most of it, Mm. but that's footy. But to come down in this moment, where Jonathan Thurston had never won a comp with this club. They've got, they've got him up there. He's one of the best players of his generation. The, the window's closing for him, right? It's been up there for a little while now, and he's in a grand final. He's got an opportunity to ice the game. And you could see all those like thoughts running through his head. You know, He took a lot longer to take that conversion than he would normally. And that's always an interesting yeah. thing in itself. I thought the idea of goal kickers is that it's all about replication and and habit and routine and yet he took a long time to just steady his nerves the really interesting part of that being that he actually struck that ball so well he did it just he he was celebrating it looked like it was going to curl straight in yeah it looked like a classic yeah thurston draw just in terms of a draw. ben hunt did him a favor right (laughs) right right afterwards so to be fair it was a charitable thing for him to do (laughs) Now, Xander, another one I've got here is 1997, the Super League War. Rugby League is in turmoil. The Brisbane Broncos, I think by this point, already beaten the Cronulla Sharks team convincingly in a fairly subdued Super League grand final. That's not my choice. The choice is what was happening in the ARL version of the game because the Knights were taking on the Manly Seagulls, who were much more fancied in that game. But they didn't count on the brilliance of Andrew Johns. 35 out, and there's 35 seconds to go. 35 seconds left. Jackson away to the Chief. We need the field goal now. 29 seconds to go. The ball goes back to Andrew. Field goal from it. Knocked down by Manley. Mark Hughes with the ball. Mark Hughes to Albert. Albert's tackled 11 metres out. We've got to have another shot. Albert plays it to Andrew Johns. Blindside Andrew Johns. Andrew Johns back to Albert. Albert And of course, it was the making of Darren Albert, wasn't it? I mean, no one really knew who Darren Albert was until he managed to back up on the inside and seal the first title for the men from the Steel Town. Uh, one, one of the, um, the most iconic moments from the 90s, I think, overall. Do you know what I didn't like about the Darren Albert try, though? Is that he, he didn't go for the slide try. He went for the conventional put down. Yeah. 
Yeah. That still annoys me. Yeah. Show some balls, dive under the posts, maybe even zigzag your A around the fullback and do a little bit of a boogie under the black dot. I would have much preferred that, but without that, it was still quite thrilling. Agreed. I mean, you know, I think players should should show more reckless abandon in, in big designers like that. <laughs> I think the guy that didn't back up was Mark Carroll on the inside. I always think about these great moments in time, Xander, where you know there's great tries scored or breaks. There's always the defender there, too, who missed the tackle, or the guy who dropped the ball. And I think it was Mark Carroll, in the case of Darren Albert, who didn't come across in cover. That footage gets played over and over and over again. I mean, you'd hate to be the guy missing the tackle in something like that, wouldn't you? Because you know you're, you're the guy repeatedly missing that tackle for eternity. Yeah. You uh, could have made 99 out of 100, but you missed that one. It's a little bit like the ankle tap, tap on Michael Croker in 2004. People don't talk about that. That's not a known moment, but I'm convinced if Mick Crocker went through, we win that game. Yeah, well, that I mean... Great, that, great play from the Bobcat. That is that is probably, you know, in, in a lot of ways, if I was to pick a moment from 2004, which I don't like to recall, I think it is the Mick Crocker ankle tap by Bobcat. <sighs> For me, it's the Hazmil Masri double movement. That, that Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ, that. <laughs> you know what? 04 has no moments for me. I've completely <laughs> blotted that out of my memory. My my other big moment uh, that I kind of thought of, and I wasn't really sure if this would really constitute a moment, but watching that 2016 grand final, the last sort of couple of plays where Melbourne were just spreading it from side to side and just watching Cronulla like, kind of move almost like a school of fish with them. Look at the crowd. Second tackle, Smith across Proctor to Brummage, then to Green, now to Munster. Munster's outside 40, flick passes, that's Hampton. Hampton gets it back to Green, Green gets it to McLean, and he'll be put to ground. That's the third gone. They're about two metres into enemy territory. It's gone away there for Kronk to give it out wide. Here's Korobedi, he's got them turning around. It's now with Vunavalu, Vunavalu. The season's top try scorer got the ball away. Bromwich to Smith, Smith to Hampton. Hampton, can he find a gap? He gets the ball away. It's back to Smith. Smith gets it away to Kronk. Kronk's got Corabetti with it. Have they got a chance here? Corabetti's put down. The siren sounds. Cronulla have won it. Cronulla have won it. 14 to 12. You can turn the light out now. It was some of the best defensive work I've seen in a grand final. Mm. And Ennis was was explaining that they uh, spent a lot of the season practicing defensive structures with eight men on 13. Yep. Um, and you could kind of really see that come together. It was just really, you know, such like such a high tension, like a low, really low scoring game, 14-12. But the Storm were just throwing absolutely everything at them. And they were just, they were just moving up and not missing a beat not slipping off a tackle it was it was incredibly riveting stuff it was the the lack of panic I yes, mean, let's face yeah, it you're yeah. you're out in your feet you you're playing for a club that's never won it and you're playing against a club that has won a lot mm. and they're coming home with a wet sail and they're throwing the ball everywhere for them not to panic and to back each other up and there wasn't a single individual in that defensive line who didn't track with the line because yeah, if they yeah. didn't melbourne would have found it on this occasion 
Um, that was an amazing moment, I thought, and it was a hell of a way to win a, a grand final. That was one of the best grand finals of the last 10 years for me, that one. Yeah, it was It was a a grand final of character, wasn't it? Mm. Right. I mean, there have been more exciting ones. It, it reminded me of a really bitter origin in a lot, a lot of ways. Yeah. Like a, a low-scoring bitter origin match. And there were a fair, fair few reps from yeah. both sides, yeah. from each side of the Queensland-New South Wales border too. So there were actually some symmetries there with origin. Mate, my last play that I'm going to pick out for Grand Finals history, um, it happened in 1999 and it went a little like this. ...will be made to play the ball on the side. They're two metres from the line. Kamali puts the kick over the cross. There's a try coming. Craig Smith. Craig Smith has put it down. Has he put it down legally? Oh, Was right. he onside? Well, Did he on. get it down? What about the high tackle from Ainscombe? He got absolutely hammered. So imagine being Jamie Ainsco. We talked about this with David Hunter, weirdly, last week. But that is the thing that he's remembered for. You know, that in this, he, he was a very good player. But he's remembered for basically throwing away a grand final in the dying minutes through a brain snap. It's, it's hard, isn't it? Like, I mean, it's, a, it's a, a millisecond instinct. He's just trying to block a try. Yeah. And he's made the wrong call. So, so watching that, you know. I've seen that clip come up a lot as well, just obviously being grand final week, everyone's pulling out those clips. You know, it's it's really hard to fault him because he he's coming in and the ball, like, I mean, he, you know, it, as you say, it happens in milliseconds. And it, watching it, like Craig Smith is kind of falling to catch it hmm. and it really just comes across as bad luck. You know, he was swinging at him. I think you think it was careless. I think it was right, careless. Like he's, he's just deliberate. he's barreling him in, into him because it's a grand final and he's yeah. trying to stop a try. It, it is one of those moments that, in, given the time, I was almost surprised they gave it a penalty try. Oh, you reckon it wasn't a penalty try? Well, I mean, I think it is now, but I think back then the stuff yeah, that they used that, to let that go was, they were far uh, yeah. more seldom, weren't they? But you, I mean, that to me that was your your textbook. That's your garden variety penalty try. He's mm. Craig Smith has the ball. He's yeah, and he gets knocked it. out. He's yeah. about to hit the ground and he gets knocked out. Yeah. I don't think you can get a better example, actually. I don't know. I can't think of one anyway. <laughs> and I don't know if Craig Smith is particularly memorable with people if he's not involved in that moment either. No. Uh, not a bad player, but not someone that's necessarily endured the test of time. But he does, yeah, he does catch the ball. No, it's it's funny. I mean, it's just because there was an era there and, you know, we where, where referees would ignore all kinds of stuff like you know Braithen Astor getting punched in the face um <laughs> and yeah, but he had it coming man <laughs> thank you for listening to the voluntary tackle the only nrl podcast prepared to palm off the big issues the program would like to advise listeners that because its hosts have developed a gold rolex shopping addiction they need your help please make comments and ratings on apple podcasts or alternatively Awkwardly shoehorn the show into conversations with friends and loved ones. You may also wish to follow the show across social media platforms. They include Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. The Voluntary Tackle is now also available on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thank you again for flying with the Voluntary Tackle. Your luggage is now our property and you will not be seeing it again. In the event of a non-traditional landing, Please assume the Russians have blown another plane from the sky and feel free to panic.